Hi, I'm Wyatt. And I'm Grace. And you're listening to Our Dad and your host of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Vodacy Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sean Moore, and I am super excited today for our guest. I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Thomas Black. Thomas Black is a member of Odyssey, but more importantly, when we talk about his background, I, I learn more from Thomas than he's probably ever learned from me. And so it's uh, it's really, really awesome to have you here and really in- excited to share your story with our listeners and our audience here on YouTube. And so thanks well, for joining us. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So so Thomas is one, like I said, a member of, of Vodacy, but he has he's a physician who has been in the game, real estate investing game, really since the beginning stages when you started getting those first paychecks as uh, as you know in your residency, right, Thomas? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, I was a second year resident when I I should have listened to the that inner voice that I knew something was wrong, but I I, I pressed on and, and went all the way through. So yeah, it's been now, uh, geez, uh, 12, 13 years now. Awesome. And I want you to share your story. But one of the big reasons I asked you to come on as well, because we're going to have an opportunity to go in a lot of different directions with our conversation today. Like we like to keep it casual, conversational. And and like I always ask everybody right before we hit play and you said, hey, man, I'm, I'm an open book. Nothing's off limits. So let's talk about a little bit. Little of everything, right? And um, you've authored a couple books. That uh, one of them is the Passive Income Physician was your first book, right? And yep. then the second book that just came out is the Tax Cure. And uh, one of the things that you talk about over and over in the Tax Cure is how much you love taxes, and that's not something a lot of us a lot of us talk about very often. And, and uh, to your point, most of us don't understand taxes very well. So we're going to talk a lot about that. And I I went through that book. It's a you know you can get through it really quickly. We're going to put links for all of you that are listening to go get this book because it's an amazing book and it's really geared toward you know, because Thomas in his background is a physician and it's geared toward talking to physicians and, um, but anybody that is got a W2 job or this thinking about being a business owner, it's, it's so applicable. So I don't want you to get turned off that the book is written to like the doctors and the physician audience, but because it's really applicable to everybody. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Before we start, can we, can we back up into like the beginning stages of everything? And uh, because you're also, you know, I, I failed to mention too, when um, the, in the introduction, you're co-founder of Nepali Capital, which is a big investment group. And you guys, you guys manage and, and uh, control a lot of assets, <clears throat> mostly on the multifamily side, right? Yeah, about 85% multifamily. Then we've got some hotel assets. Uh, we've built some industrial holdings. And then you know we had to go to the single family or the uh, the uh, the lifestyle assets too, so we own a couple of those also, just to yeah. you know, throw in the mix. So we're going to talk about all that, but let's let's rewind to the beginning and right. talk a little bit about how you got into real estate, and then let's. I, I'd love to lump in the you know some of the conversations with understanding the taxes and how you get slaughtered and how real estate really was not only an investment tool for you, but really for you, it sounded like when I was reading the book, especially, I didn't actually know this from your story knowing you, but when I was reading the book, it sounded like that was a, a big motivating factor of really understanding real estate was oh, the tax advantage of it, right? That, that's really where it all started. The genesis of this began with tax. That's the only reason I really started looking yeah. uh, into real estate and and we we can rewind. So so I, I was a horrible high school student, joined the military directly after high school, 
Couldn't have gone to college. It was actually a, a pretty disgusting academic performance. And, and got in the military and realized, wow, you know, maybe there is a brain up there. Started to think I better do something with my life. And was in the Persian Gulf and made this snap decision. I want to be a doctor because some events that had happened. So fast forward a couple of years, I'm an undergrad. I, I get through that. I'm in med school. And I never quite knew this about myself, but I talked to friends that are, you know, surgeons and, and, and other things these days that we go back to. And unbeknownst to me, I, apparently I complained the entire time at med school, like, oh, this is just, I'm just using this for the next thing or whatever it was. It never dawned on me that those conversations ever took place. So graduated um, and uh, was doing my postdoc or my residency up at Indiana University um, in emergency medicine. So we had bought a house. It was 2005. And then, of course, things kind of changed in the, the following three years. So when I finished residency, my plan was always, hey, how can I how can I use this to my advantage? And what I did was I started going to used bookstores and reading about finance and real estate. And I stumbled on some tax things and just thinking, wow, this is really creative. How can I use this house that I can't sell for what I bought it for to my advantage? So rented it to an incoming resident for the entire time that, that they were there. Um, and so to me, it was like, okay, I'm going to move. And it, it solved the situation really, really easily um, and allowed me to, to move on with life and create just a little bit of, of an asset. That absolutely just hooked me. Um, so at the downturn, I started buying houses, um, some just sight unseen. And I was buying them for 30, 40 cents on the dollar. You know, when people were flipping at this time, you know, and there were shows coming out. Uh, I didn't want that. I just wanted to rent the house to be able to depreciate them to offset whatever income I possibly could. So had a portfolio of about 10 houses, was driving back and forth from Houston to East Texas because I was practicing in East Texas. And I was literally, you know, renovating these houses, doing the GC work and sleeping there overnight and managing it. And it just got too chaotic. And I'm a, here I am a full-time doctor in practice too. So notice that I had a couple of partners that were really interested in what I was doing, saying, how can I, you know, how can I get involved? And I had leveraged my entire balance sheet because this is all recourse debt, thinking there's got to be a better way to do this. So that's how this whole early genesis came about, having other people then uh, be a partner in a deal, using their balance sheet and giving them half to be able to, to create more equity. So bought a small slice of land in that city and developed a small apartment complex uh, on my own, leased it up. And from that point, you know, I would leave the ED at 3 a.m. Um, you know, after dealing with a heart attack or a trauma or anything else, I go out there at 3 a.m. and I think, wow, this is awesome. Like, I love the fact of going vertical and just creating something with your hands. And I was just completely bit and smitten. So that's really the early, the early part of that uh, was all about trying to completely offset every dollar that I earned with depreciation so that I could theoretically be at net zero uh, of tax owed while having a huge portfolio. And it took me about eight years, but I finally got there. That's awesome. It's such... I'll stop there. And you can, you can poke around because that story can go about a thousand different directions. Right, right. So one that I'd love to poke at right out of the gate is this all started... One understanding, okay, I want to I want to reduce my tax liability, you right. know, the right way. But what was interesting, you said, hey, I've got this property, I can't sell it for what I owe. What can I do with it, right? And you're putting somebody in. We talk about long term investments all the time, right? You've never been in the, the short term game, right? Your your game has always never. been long term because yeah. it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. It never makes sense to do that because the second you do it, you're just looking for something else to do, and it, right? And, it, and it's a horrible it's a horrible tax situation. Earned income. 
That's horrible. Doesn't work, right? And so, because uh, we, right now, right? We're crazy markets right now, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. prices are just, you blink and they're going up, yeah. you know, overnight. And everybody's like, well, you know, I, I got to get in on this. I got to get in on this. What happens, but what what's going to happen when the market slides? Well, you started your entire career when a market was tanking, right? Yeah. And And so it's, that's a great time to be buying. It's a great time to be putting, you know, those assets can still produce for you, even though they're not maybe worth what you bought them for. They're still producing, right? That was not a bad investment, even though it was worth less than what you paid for it at the time. And it's where you really started to build your portfolio. There's always a solution. You know, I, I could tell you a number of times that you look at something and go, oh my God, we ended up with this asset. There's always a creative solution to minimize your impact. You just have to have poise and patience and, and not make irrational decisions. And that's, that's what the great thing is about real estate is underwriting can be hard and you can make irrational decisions on your acquisition side. But, but when you look at market investing versus real estate, it's illiquid, which takes the irrationality and the emotion out of it a little bit. Yeah, And it's really been the cornerstone of my success because you put it over there and you just operate it. As long as you're operating and you don't stop, you're going to see gains at some point. It may not be immediate, but it's a marathon. You have to start the race. And when you're 10 miles in, then you can look back and go, wow, you know, your, your phone's not going off. The market's not going up and down. That's It's really pivotal that you look at the long game. Right. Love it. And, and gains can come in multiple different uh, forms, right? It doesn't, the gain is not always on the, the P&L balance sheet of the, the income that the property is producing. A gain can come by saying, okay, I reduced my tax liability by 30 grand this year because I own this asset. Well, that's a $30,000 gain as well. Yeah. It's just, it's just not a direct ROI, right? I mean, you know, when I was a doctor, I had my wife get her real estate license for that very reason. You know, we were filing joint I'm like, okay, if we're going to do this, you're a part of this thing, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And, and I convinced her, hey, I'll buy you a new car. You get your license and we'll figure out how this thing. So, I mean, the first year of tax savings was thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 off the top. So that was the new car. That's huge. Yeah. That's, and one thing that you talk about in your book as well, you, you talk about a lot of different ways to get those gains. And you say sometimes it's small gains. Sometimes it's large gains, right? And we tend to ignore some of the small gains, you know, writing off business lunches, writing off certain things. We're like, well, that's not, you know, that's not putting 50 grand in my pocket. Well, yeah, but all like those small right. gains add up, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why, you know, accurate accounting and, and just being diligent about all those things, especially when you're early in the phase, you know, those small things add up, you know, the $50 here and there or the trip or whatever it is, thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars may not seem like a big deal when you're early in that thing, but man, it, it certainly does an impact, especially when you're, when your portfolio is smaller. I mean, the relative ratio is big. Right. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And, and so just unpacking one more thing that you mentioned, which I think is just critical. I just want to back up on. So I, so people catch this is there's always an opportunity and it's really difficult to make decisions when you're in this panic and worry mode mode. It doesn't matter what's yes. going on. Right. I mean, yeah. If you're in panic and worry mode, that means you just don't have a good enough understanding of the situation you're in. So take a deep breath, figure out the situation you're in, understand it a little bit better, right? It's like being lost in the woods. You know, people don't die because they're lost in the woods. It's because they panic and they are not prepared for the situation. But just take a breath, prepare for the situation. And there's always going to be an opportunity, especially with long-term type assets. Yep, absolutely. It's just breathe through it. 
you know, sleep on it, maybe a bad night's sleep, but I've had plenty of assets that you think are going to go down, but you just keep, you keep trucking and things will turn around. It's just, uh, and it's hard. I mean, those are some big lessons learned along the years, you know, uh, and, and you get better at it as time goes on. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and so let's back back up. So we got that we started with the single family, the 10 plus single family homes, started renting those out. And then you built your first little apartment complex. How big was it? Uh, 20 units. Okay, nice. And so we built that and then you were kind of, was it just like, hey, I'm hooked now. I'm, I'm, I'm figuring this out. Yeah, you know, my mind never stops kind of working even in the background. And I'm thinking, how do I get, what's the next level? How do I get then to legitimize this group when I know people are interested in doing it? And how do I get from a recourse to a non-recourse so that I can really do bigger things? And so it was really uh, predicated on the, the decision that I, I needed to leave the practice. I was starting to see what I what life could be. And I was so deep into the practice of medicine and you have tunnel vision as a doctor sometimes. You've gotten to this, you know, 13 years of education and you just think, God, what else am I going to do? I'm trapped. And it's a horribly suffocating feeling. And I ultimately just came to the conclusion that I had to follow the right path for me. And I resigned my partnership and moved. Uh, you know, found another small directorship in a small hospital. What, what ended up happening was my knowledge with finance and that love of finance and reading and really helped me understand the, the administrative and finance side of healthcare that made me progress through a leadership position, which wasn't really in, intended at all. You know, I'm the president of a medical group now, really by default because of what I've done in multifamily and, yeah. and, and real estate. So we moved and I bought the first decent sized deal I did was 2015, 300 units um, in Arlington, Texas, paid a little over 12 million for, um, it was at an eight, just under an eight cap. And I thought, oh my God, it's an eight cap. This is crazy. And uh, ended up selling it two years, four days later for just a little bit over 21 million. And so I had raised 3 million of capital and that just, you know, you can imagine there's a $9 million Delta there. Uh, plus some of the yield maintenance that it went, the, the group just started doing doing more and more yeah. people were asking. So that's really the infancy of, of where it started. And and then Tim came on board and we can we can stop there. I can go into that a little bit if you want to. Is that the the birth of Nepali Capital when Tim came on and, and uh, your brother? No, there was a couple more assets in between. It yeah. wasn't until so Tim was, you know, a very good operator at a very large uh, uh hotelier and, and amusement park company had sold to private equity a number of times and he was under the same kind of finger that I was feeling. And he he sold and he thought I was crazy all these years. Like he came down to East Texas and saw me building this apartment complex and he thought I was insane. Like he would say, what, what the hell is wrong with you? You know? And it wasn't until oh, spring, early, early spring and like 15 that they had sold and he gets his tax bill from a CPA. And he'll tell you the story. You know, I'm sure he's told you he's, put, he's pushing his cart through the snow and his CPA calls him and says, hey, are you sitting down? And he's like, oh, God, his stomach drops. And he tells him what his tax bill over that is at that time. It was over seven figures. Wow. And he's just the next call he makes is to me. And he's like, dude, you know, this is what happened. And I just I just started laughing. I'm like, man, I've been telling you this for years. You're on the wrong side of the equation, man. (laughs) And so he jumped on a plane about three weeks later, came down, and that's where we we hammered out kind of the structure going forward. And the old company turned into Nepali Capital, essentially. 
Wow. So, and that was, what year was that? 20, we had officially in 2016, early 2016 was where, where it actually morphed okay. from one into the other. And, and the poly capital is, is it a fund like you, you guys, or do you do deal by deal? No, it's, it's individual. So we, we've played with the idea for years about doing a fund, but you know, I think we're, we're edging closer to it just because I never wanted the cash drag and I didn't want kind of the structure that it was, you know, we've never had a capital issue. We've always had an asset issue. So yeah. um, it, it was just easier to manage the things and the way our partnerships are structured that way, because we've always offered for people that wanted to be a guarantor or get key principal experience to come on the note, to not be, not be a signer on the note, but it allowed us to be able to do those things for other people to go out and, and reproduce what we've done essentially. Yeah. Awesome. So, how many how, how many assets or uh, units are under control of Nepali Capital at this at this point? Right now, uh, about fifteen hundred. You know, we've probably had a thousand. We've sold off. You know, the three hotels. I think we're about three hundred keys on those. We just opened a you know one in Dallas here with a rooftop bar, which is a whole new experience for us. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then some industrial stuff that we're getting ready to go up. So we're we're a little over half a billion under management right now. Wow, that's so awesome! Congratulations. I mean, I you know when I went out and saw your guys, I you know visited you guys at your office, and I really thought it was awesome when I saw the timeline of the visual of how everything grew and what assets came in at what times. It was really cool to see that. It was. Uh, I mean, it, it it came from you know crawling. That's for sure. Time, patience, and operating, and you'll get there. You will. It just I, takes. It's a grind, right? And that's how you know you're doing it right. And it's right. all about people. It is all about people. Yep. Yep. Those relationships and, and, and then, like you said, being willing to, to roll your sleeves up and put in the work, right? You were talking, talking about in, in 2005, having finishing up your residency and saying, okay, I've got this asset that's not, you know, I can't sell for more than I owe until now. And you've got over 1500 units under management. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's crazy. And it's, it's funny because I know we've got mutual contacts that all your, your folks know that it, I had gone through, I don't know how many CPAs, probably seven. Yeah. You know, I, I had read most of the laws and I would go in there. You have to be like, wait a minute, why aren't we doing this? Why are we not doing this? And they would just kind of look at me. Well, that's not what we do. You know, you're, they were a big firm. And until I found, you know, Mike and what year was that? 20, that was the year I moved here. And when I quit my practice, 2014, yeah. and I walked into Pine's office. And so, yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. Anyway, well, so. I tell people all the time, I've, I've been doing this full time and I've always, I've never gotten into the big stuff. I've always been in really residential properties, really essentially, you know, we've always been in smaller single doors. Um, and then, you know, for the, for the last five to seven years, it's been the, the short-term rentals and the vacation rentals, but we've never really done the big stuff, but I've always been in real estate, always invested in real estate, had the same CPA for almost 15 years and met Mike through you guys. And, and I'm like, man, I, I cannot believe how much money I left on the table in that amount of time. And Isn't I thought, weird? I, I mean, it, it's like doctors too. There's, there's a thousand ways to do something. Yes. And it, it's just a matter of finding the one piece of that puzzle that can unlock a lot of other things. And you, I mean, it's limitless from there. So yeah, yeah Mike's a, Mike's, Mike's a good dude. And that guy lives tax. That's for sure. He loves it. Yeah. He yeah. loves it. It's like, to, yeah. you know, it's, and it's awesome to be able to, and you love it the more you understand it. And that's kind of the point of the book with the tax cure. Why I want everybody to go read it is the more you really kind of understand your options, right. the more you're going to enjoy it. And it becomes a game and say, okay, am I doing this right? Does this make sense? You know, what can I do here? What can I do there? And it doesn't have to be as scary as a lot of us make it. 100%. If you just lean into it and don't be afraid of it, 
That's the key. Like lean in, understand it, understand what you can and can't do. And then this whole board game kind of opens up and you start to hear the narrative, even on the news that, oh God, 19 companies didn't pay tax. And you're like, duh. I mean, of course they didn't. Right. The game was set up for them and they're just doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So now, now whether that'll hurt us in the end, I don't know. You know, that's things as long as you understand and you're fine um, um, navigating the appropriate ways, then, I mean, that's the way it is. If the game changes, then you just have to adapt. You adapt, yeah. And and here's the thing, too, for people who don't really understand that, who might get upset saying, well, that's not fair. You know, you're not paying tax, you're making this money, whatever. The government is going to incentivize growth and economic, like, and, and that is in usually in energy, in real estate, in different technologies. And so when you spend the time in, as an investor and take the risk to go into those sectors, it yeah. helps the economy overall. And that's why they incentivize, right? Absolutely. So it's not that that's we're trying I mean, to avoid taxes. No, 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 no. I think that, listen, the public capital pays plenty of tax. My yeah. Property taxes, employment tax for employees, our franchise taxes. I mean, we we get we get plenty of tax, but when you start to understand income, earned income versus capital gains and what it trickles down, the company is paying those. But you know, let's not uh, let's not ding ourselves over you know four times the same thing. Um, and, and that's really the book goes over that too. For your for your point is the government is incentivizing. That's why the tax code is written like that. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that oil can almost be depreciated. I mean, in East Texas, that was one of my big things that that would boggle my mind. Here I am a doctor, you know, that I'm thinking that I've I've made it finally. I come out of residency and I see guys that have literally no education. They're that are pipe salesmen, they're electricians, hardworking guys that are making millions of dollars out of the oil field because they're navigating a business and they're a business owner and they're working a 30-hour work week where I'm in the I'm in the hospital 65 hours a week making a third of what they are and I'm nights, weekends, holidays. It just that's really where I saw this change going, wait a minute, what am I doing? Like, how do I play this a little bit smarter to, to ultimately be happier? So it, you're definitely right. And if you talk about energy taxes, man, those guys, I mean, you can go drill a dead well and they still get to depreciate it 100%. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. And so just, yeah, understanding what incentives are out there and why those incentives are out there and really being able to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to run down that road. Now we like most of the people listening here are interested in the real estate side of it. Right. And real estate is a great option for just average everyday people to be able to say, okay, I'm maybe I'm not going to go invest in a business. Maybe I'm a little uncomfortable doing that. Right. You, we can all have our own businesses to run our real estate stuff. So we can expense a lot of different things, but Real estate is still an asset that most average everyday people, it's accessible to a lot of people. And that's Absolutely. what we're talking about, which is which is really a fun thing to understand. And because if you're going to buy real estate, most of those people have high income jobs or W-2 jobs that they're paying a significant amount of uh, in earned income yeah. taxes on, right? And, and so, so well, let's, let's take it back to that stage, like of... Okay, if I'm listening to this and saying, okay, this this sounds really interesting, right? This is something that I'm interested in. I don't quite understand this. So if you could tell that person, Thomas, where would you tell them to start with to try to get a baseline understanding of this kind of stuff on how they can take advantage of real estate to not 
like Mike always says, Mike Pine, who we've referred to and is, is a contributor in your book as well. But Mike always says, you don't want to let the tax dog wag the investment decisions, right? They're, oh, no, no, no. It's just the it's just the whipped cream and the sprinkles on top, right? Right. I mean, right. That's, that's where you're going. You don't make uh, bad definitely, because of taxes, right? Right. You never say, well, I'm buying it for tax deduction. Right. No, you buy it for cash flow. I mean, that's Pure and simple, never never acquire something for, oh, it's going to appreciate later. No, 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 no. Always, not, rule number one is cash flow, right? Yeah. You know, I think, and I've told this to God, I don't know how many doctors, is as the real estate and multifamily and all these educators out there that are that are getting more and more press and, and people are starting to become more aware of the alternative investing space. I've told, I don't know how many physicians that that, that want, or people actually that, that will call and say, how do I get started? How can I do it myself? How can I reproduce this? that it's a really difficult time to buy, you know, annual just for regular single family rentals, just because the price versus, you know, that 1% rule or even the, you know, 0.8% rule, nothing really works right now. And single family rentals, as far as I look, and I know I cover it in the book, is really a, a much easier entry into that business model because you get so many different phases. You know, you don't not not only do you get the four phases, your appreciation, depreciation, you know, your cash flow and your amortization, you're also getting a use benefit out of it, right? That's why the model is so interesting. But that's typically where I've always shown people if you're trying to get this, because you can still find assets out there um, and then have a personal component to it. And just like you said, Owning your own business is really important. That's the cornerstone of, of really being successful in this. If you're not a CEO or you're not you're not making seven figures by you know the, you're the 0.001 percenter, it's finding that niche and figuring out how you can work it into your life, and that's what becomes sustainable. So you know, buying a McDonald's or a dry cleaners, things like that, those are operationally intensive businesses. Yeah, real estate is not, and it's got a low barrier to entry. That's what makes it so palatable. Yeah. And, and so, when, yeah, absolutely. So when you said sing, you were saying single family rentals are a good place to start because that you were talking about short term rentals, right? Because of the yeah, yeah. So, so I would say if normally, if you would ask me that question five years ago, um, yeah, I would have said, you know, buy a house, buy a small apartment, you know, duplex, something like that. But given those prices are just so crazy and we have a different, you know, view of how it is in the, and there's a real housing shortage and a demand versus supply issue. That that short term rentals are are easier pound for pound, although I know they're hard to find and people are super frustrated that they're making you know fifteen offers on a deal. Yeah. You just can't stop looking. There are deals out there, but it's just that you've got to look more. You got to look a lot harder now to find that deal and maybe be creative about how it's structured. So yeah. that's that's right, man. Yeah, and and, and I, I love to talk about some of the drawbacks of like the short term rentals too. Like one of the things that. One of the things that's great about like just a single family rental that that is difficult right now is it doesn't it, in most markets it's difficult to cash flow right the the acquisition price versus the revenue doesn't match up where but they're a lot more passive and that's why you said like you know maybe five ten years ago that would have been a good option been, yeah an easier yeah. barrier to entry for it's, sure it's much easier barrier barrier to entry because short term rentals on the other hand. They they can be really time intensive on that acquisition phase, really time intensive on the setup phase, Managing, right? The and then service elements. There's yeah. a whole layer of that, yeah. And so that front end, especially, and then even if you have a full service management company in place, if you don't, then they're time intensive for a long time, right? There's a there's a management component that's going to be there long term. But if yeah. you if you outsource that that front end 
to get all that, the property acquired, the property I mean, set up. It's exhausting. <laughs> you just went through a setup that is difficult. Yeah. Right? And you know, I'll tell you what, I laugh because I underestimated it. Yeah. You know, having done, you know, a lot of deals in, in real estate thinking, eh, you know, it's one house, you know, and it's a three-story, nine-bedroom house, it's, you know, but the pool, the ff and &E, I mean, it was a beast getting through. And then you you throw logistics on the top of that. Yeah. Man, it, it it was a challenge, learned a lot, but we always look at it like it's tuition, right? It's a tuition bill to learn what you do and don't do the next time and then look back and how, how do you create more efficiencies? Um, because going through that pain, I look at that pain as equity anyway. I mean, there's equity in some form that's that's going to happen. So yeah, yeah you're right. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it ain't easy and you have to operate. Yeah. I tell people right now, it's not for the faint of heart, for sure. No. Like I love it. I love it as an asset class. I think there's huge opportunities. I think, I, I'm, I mean, I'm super excited about it. Obviously it's what we do, but you have to be ready to roll up your sleeves and get after it just like anything else, right? It, anything worth doing is going to take some work and some time and some effort. And there's so many people out there talking about like, you know, the easy button. Okay. I'm a, you know, it's, you can just, no thing. there is no such thing. Yeah. And, and I, and, and you and I talked about that a week or two ago, like there's no such thing as the easy button. You want to have some success. You, you roll up yeah. put in as, soon as, you, as soon as we had that talk too, like somebody threw up, a piece of metal at one of our TVs in the, in the, in the asset. And then there's glass that's broken and you're just like, this is supposed to be so much easier. What is going on? But right. like anything else, you know, you just, you hedge it with insurance, you hedge it with good operations and you write that into your pro forma knowing you're going to have issues. So if you go into it knowing, just assume it ain't going to be perfect yeah. and realize that you're going to have headaches and understand that um, and be realistic about your numbers, then you're going to be fine. Yeah. Are you, you know, I'm not asking you this because you went through this process because a lot of people are like, how do you choose the area? How did you guys choose the area? I know we had conversations about this when you were yeah. looking at um, your assets. We, we, we chose that area based on, we had, a lot, we had a lot of investors actually that owned homes down there. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first kind of genesis as well. We were going to, we offered on a couple of investors' homes that they were going to keep it. We were just going to recapitalize their house. Okay. You know, and and it didn't work out, but we had taken a couple of trips down there looking around. So we didn't look at it from a vacation standpoint for ourselves. We looked at it as this purely monetary asset investment side of it. So we crunched a lot of different areas. We own in the South, Southeast. So we own in, in Charlotte. We have a hotel there, a multifamily. We have Savannah. We have Charleston. You and I both have condos in Florida in the same little place. Uh, so I knew the area um, and I knew with Texas increasing with the Gulf Coast, that the migration and, and the patterns that we were seeing, that it, it was going to be a safe bet for us. That's really how we got to it. Just, just to try to understand the submarket and the market as much as we possibly could. I love that you unpacked that because that's a question that a lot of people have. And I and I get the question a lot like, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not looking at this to supplement a vacation home. This truly is an investment. And so most markets have good opportunities within them. There's usually good properties and bad properties within most markets. Now there's some markets that do better than others. And to your point, you're looking at the major profit drivers. You're looking at the major metropolitan areas that are feeding those areas. Are they growing? Are they going up? You know, are they declining? Those are the types of things that you're looking at. And, and I don't know if we told everybody, this is a property, the property specific property we're talking about is down in Miramar Beach in Florida. Um, uh, Crystal Beach. No, we're Crystal. We've got land. Oh, in you're in Crystal Beach. So the lot you bought was in Miramar. 
Yeah, yeah. So we get a lot that we're getting ready to break ground in a couple of months and, and build some other monstrosity again. So <laughs> go through. It's easier to build. It take two years, but who cares, right? Because when you when you go through a build, it, it costs what it costs. Right. right. There's no negotiating. It's it's commodity prices and and it is what it is, right? So yeah. it, it takes the guesswork a little bit out of the way. And as long as you don't have a, an urgency, it's easier to have a slow burn on the side that uh, than when we're doing other things. So yeah. Awesome. And now t- tell me about that property. It, it's launched, it, it, right? You guys it launched. Is, yeah. We, we launched uh, February, maybe. Um, we're, we're doing okay. We've, we've been hitting numbers right out of the gate that I was pretty surprised. I think we've seen some softening a little bit in the market. I think that, you know, operations definitely were a, uh, were a catch up. I mean, we're hoteliers by nature. And so we're very familiar with that space. It was even a little bit different compared to, to that with the operations. And so, you know, I would say it was just as much work on that asset than it would be obtaining a $35 million property somewhere else. It's the same amount of work. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was money. An asset's an asset, right? Like launching is yeah. launching. And it, it, it is. It, yeah. Like I hear that all the time and and I've never personally done an asset that large, but I hear that all the time from from guys like you that say that like, hey, this and that. It, it's now that I've done the, the big assets, it's just as much work to launch a smaller yeah. asset, right? It is. And it's, it, there's, there's a little bit more passion about it. I think that it's fun. You know, my family went there in December and used it and it was unique and it gives you just that other little edge, you know, and it ties back to tax, right? One of the, one of the big reasons that we did it and we looked at it is, when when we have large assets that are that we're disposing of in any number of years, when we get a slug of income, we're like, okay, how do we how do we figure out if we're not collecting assets at a burn rate where our depreciation is covering that? How can we be unique and and pound for pound in a in a in a short term rental like this, especially that size? Um, we were able to kind of harness some some interesting ways of recycling the capital that that helped us personally. Um, so. Yeah. It was it was a major driver of being able to 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 offset and and use that and kind of defer some things. Have you started the build process or did you just acquire that lot? Uh, we closed about three weeks ago, but we had already given approval um, and gone to the city. So architecture has already been done. There were already pre-done plans. We just added a second house on the property, um, like a carriage house that, yeah. that we can have that uh, in a garage that we can have. So if we're down there, we want to use it and it's rented, we still got a secondary house. Nice. Um, and then using it as kind of a bridal suite or doing something. So it's a little bit bigger. Nice. That's that's going to be a great one. That'll be fun. So can we... Yeah, fun when it's done, right? <laughs> slow and understanding. Yeah, slow and understanding. That's that's all I ask for. Just know, know what's coming instead of getting hit with it. Right, right. There you go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna change directions one more time because this is this is a topic that you had in your book that we don't get to talk about a lot with a lot of my guests on the podcast because a lot of yeah. people don't get to this stage is asset protection, right? Yes, we start to build this stuff and we start to focus on you know the grind and the build and everything else. And I've got a I've got a, my asset protection attorney and he kind of gives me some advice on when people should start thinking about that. I'm curious what your opinion is on when you should start really considering and thinking about that asset protection as we start to build these portfolios. Yeah. I mean, uh, yesterday, yeah. um, I think, I think it starts the second you even get in this is understanding because that interplay of tax and protection, it really starts at the very beginning. You just don't realize it. Yeah. Um, you're going through and maybe you, you do or under, understand what an LLC really is 
and you start to talk about a corporate veil and how it works and the flow through and things like that. And, and Mike can talk everybody's ears off about that. It's fantastic. But you know, you're you're setting these up in such a way that that your liability is mitigated, right? Um, and it's you're you're holding it. Uh, away from all your other all your other assets, essentially, right? So you can have one thing; somebody can fall and, and break their ankle. Um, yet you're not having you're not exposed on the other side of it. Um, so if you own two single family rentals or, or, or vacation homes, you know those two ought to be separate. You probably ought to not commingle because then you're opening both up for. Yep. So it starts at that very 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 basic thing, and then man, that web can just get crazy. And Mike, ask, you'll have to ask Mike sometime, be like, who's the most complicated tax return you've ever done? And, and he'll laugh and he'll tell you. It's, it is a web of partnerships. And it's it's not that it was created on purpose. It's just that what came out in the wash and how to create, to, to protect, you know, our, our personal assets. Um, you start getting into trusts. Yeah. I never thought I'd be at this position in my life, you know, and I think it was monetarily when you look at you start to become a net worth of probably around two to five million. You probably ought to start looking at, hey, how do we do this? Because you're you're now marching into a category where it's got some long-term legacy effects, and you start yeah. to have to think about kids and uh, all sorts of of things that um, I'm trying to give examples here. And I know the book addresses uh, addresses some of these things, but what I can say is that monetarily to set one of these things up. It's not a small sum of money, yes. as you yeah, know. Exactly. So it's really only worth it to you get to a point where you really need it. And that's probably, I, I think I was personally around five or so, whenever the yeah. guys like, listen, you're, you're, <laughs> you're now have a big target on your back. Yeah. Um, and it's really important to just, to just have a place that it's a shell that yes, you, you're subject and anything and everything in, in, in legal terms, right. It's all about leverage. You take yeah. away the leverage then you're in a better position. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's where um, my asset protection attorney who set all of our stuff up. And to your point, I never thought, I never thought of having to do this. Never thought I'd be in a position uh, to even think about that. Right. And so um, we started really understanding it. And to your point of it, just being this web of like, I mean, this isn't something you're going to do on your own. Like a lot of, a lot of no. investors are like, I'm going to set an LLC up and I'll put my I did the same thing too. Yeah. And, and that, so did I. That's how I started, just putting properties in LLCs. But then you start talking about trusts and what kind of trust. Is it a foreign? Is it a domestic? Is it a bridge trust? Is it now you've got limited partnerships and you've got all your, your different LLCs underneath those. And I mean, it gets to be this. It is. And then tracking it becomes an issue. I mean, the monster just starts to grow um, as you have multiple assets spitting off cash. You know, that was always by design, right? You wanted your A cash flow. And as soon as they got big enough that you can invest in something else. So you have all these wheels spinning. Well, now you got all these plates up in the air. And yeah, I would say the, the worst thing you can possibly do once you get to a certain point. And I did the same thing. I would go on the Texas SOS website and I'd pay the $300 and do the LLC myself. Not a really good idea because yeah. <laughs> it all has to be done correctly. Um, and it's really important to pay for good advice. Um, yes. And it's worth its weight in gold. Yeah. And that's... Um, Doug Lobmel, who I use, he said, you know, I always, he says, I always tell people, listen, it's not, it's never too early to start planning it out because you can layer it on. If you understand the overall plan, they can help you layer it together because it gets to be very expensive. And he says, listen, if you, if you don't, you really, that million dollar mark is probably worth it where people start to say, okay, I'm going to start to 
protect this and I'm going to spend the money to set some of the things up with the trusts and all those different things. But in the very beginning, spend, you know, hire a reputable attorney. They'll set up an LLC for you for a thousand bucks or somewhere right around there. Right. Versus, so what do you get? A thousand dollars is really nothing to get it set up correctly with the right operating account and everything else, right? And register correctly. It's not, that's insignificant. Then you start doing your, you know, your limited partnerships to hold those assets. And, you know, that might cost you another five or 10 grand. And then you can layer on your trust and all those different things that get to be a little bit more expensive. And, but it's, it's a good idea as we're talking about taxes and we're talking about, I mean, as a physician, that's a, that's a fairly risky position to be yeah, in. I've heard it's a little litigious. Yeah. And so it's like, you yeah. look at you guys, yeah. it's like, Tom, what are you doing? You've got to have this protected, right? You're, yeah. You, if you're a practicing physician, if you're a business owner, if you're doing something out there, um, if you're if you have kids that are driving or, or ourselves, you know, you're you're you get in a car wreck. You know, he said there's it's not even like that you do anything wrong. A lot of times we live in a in a, a live in a society that yeah. that is going to take advantage of yeah. whether it's a perception issue or not. Everybody sees things differently and people can rationalize things a, yep. a bunch of different ways. And so all you're doing is minimizing not only the chance of somebody going and trying to do that, but even when they do finding that, okay, they have no leverage. It's, it's a big hill to climb. You're not going to get in there um, and you're going to waste a whole lot of money trying to do it. Yeah. 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 That's uh, and, and I know that you, you mentioned some of that in the book. So I thought that was great as well. And so, you know, that, because it's all, it's all part of the plan, right? There's all, there's all these different pieces and we won't talk about all the options in the books. So I want people to go get it and read it because um, it's an easy read. It's super easy to get through it. it you're going to, yeah, you know, it's funny. I wrote it thinking and, and everybody, when I was writing it, all your marketing PR and I, as you know, I'm not a, I'm not a blogger, YouTube, uh, Facebook guy. There's plenty of other doctors out there that, uh, that are looking to, to, uh, to be that person. And I kept getting asked constantly, well, this is your sales magnet, right? Like, no, no, I'm not selling anything. I'm just writing it because I had to write it. I mean, that's, you know, if you notice it, I don't go on tours. We don't promote it. We just have it there for investors or anybody else to take advantage of, because I found that even with the other book that I wrote, there wasn't, when I was trying to do this, I was reading everything and I couldn't find a concise yeah. way of, or the knowledge that I just wanted to kind of translate in and say, oh, well, that's, that's a lot easier than me having to go out in nine different locations and assimilate this stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's why I did it. You know, it, it wasn't a, it certainly is not a money generator. Well, and I can, I, well, the first books don't make any money. They're lead magnets, right. For something else. Oh, and I can, yeah. I can, uh, 100% verify. Like I was the one that called you and was like, Tom, some are my, my members, our listeners are going to love this. This is exactly what they're, you know, it's written just as a, like a great source of information of understanding. And you're, you know, what I hope people do when they read it is light bulbs start to go off and they say, I'm going to dive more into that. I'm going to look more into that because that sounds really interesting and applicable to my situation. And that yeah, and that's and what I, it's designed to do completely. Yeah. It's just about showing, Hey, there's a way to do this. Um, and, and it's really not all that hard. You just need to kind of figure out who's in your corner and then identify who your guys are, right? Everybody, when you're starting out, you don't realize it, but you, you need a good attorney. Um, <laughs> you know, you need a great tax guy. You need a great insurance guy. And over time, that life is going to evolve. And then you're, instead of having one attorney, you're going to end up with four attorneys and they're all going to be specialized in something different. And then 
you outgrow some people, you know, you, you, as you mature in the business, your directions change, everything is extremely dynamic. And that's, what's so fun about it is you're always going and doing something unique, trying to perfect and get to the next level or iteration of how, how you can do something better. Yeah. And that's what's people, people worry, like it's okay to outgrow some of your team members. Oh, 100%. Naturally, we're going to do, right? They're, you're going to outgrow certain team members and they're going to be excited for your growth and probably recommend you to somebody who's even, you know, that they might know, right? The, a great team is just that. They're going to be, you know. Yeah, I mean, great example is the office right next door to me is Piney. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that guy, that guy's doing, he's doing okay. It's, you know, yeah. and I've loved that, you know, we've referred, oh, I don't know how many of our investors in our database use them. Because he's good and that's where you go and you find. And so it's it's great to see relationships like that really take off. Yeah. Um, is fantastic to see because he's providing value and, and just so much good education. So nice, nice. Well, listen, man, I know how valuable your time is. Every time I talk to you, I feel like I learn more. And so I I appreciate you spending it not only with me, but also our listeners. Well, I'm happy to. Yeah, it, it's awesome. And I, and I love to see what you guys are doing over there at Nepali, as well as, you know, I want everybody to go get the tax secure. Those of you that are watching it on YouTube, you can see the tax secure right here. Is Amazon the best place? To get the book, yeah, it's the only place. So I mean, I write these and I just put it in the in the, in the Kindle. So uh, okay. I think we even lowered it. You know, Amazon charges you something, and I it, we don't even we don't even make a dollar from it. We just put it up there to have it up there. So if you're going to buy it, just put a review up there. That's all. I need to get yes. more reviews on there just to make it look legitimate, so people yes. aren't. Look at it. So I'd appreciate it. Let and those of you that, just so you know, like when you go buy it, go. Uh, I'm going to have the link in the show notes. Go buy it on Amazon, the Tax Cure. When you do buy it wait like three or four days and then put your review up or Amazon doesn't actually publish reviews. So like, oh, really? yeah, I, I just found that out for, for ours as well. I'm like, no, where are we? What, you know, how do we get more reviews? They're like, okay, one of the things you got to tell people is wait, wait a few days so that Amazon thinks you actually read the book and then gave a review. Yeah. I think we've given more books. We order them by the hundreds yeah, and we give more away than, than anything. So you don't end up with those reviews that people right. come back and say, God, I read your first book. It was amazing. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's 40 reviews or something. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Right. Uh, but again, we don't you don't write those for the money. You write it because they're they have to be written. So yeah, nope. I and I love it. And everybody that's listening, go get it. So we'll we'll put the link in the show notes to go go read it, leave a review. You're gonna love it. You're gonna learn a lot. So Thomas, one thing I always ask every one of our guests before they leave is mm, this is the hook. What is it? The hook, the one piece of advice. If you go back to yourself in, you know, when you started this and give yourself one piece of advice. And say, okay, here's here's what I want you to know before you get into this stuff. What would that be? I think we touched on it. And it's it's just have composure and realize that you're going to make mistakes and it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. Don't don't get overwhelmed. You you will probably, and that's okay. Just realize that it is totally normal. And I've often asked this one thing too. So I, that's what I would say. Try and try and disconnect the motion and understand that you're you're going to have. Failures. That's okay. Failures are lessons. That's, you know, you either win or you fail, right? Or win yeah. or you or you learn. I asked a, a really well-experienced, seasoned investor, like a 40-year career, the same question. So what's your best advice? Or what's your biggest regret, actually? He says that I ever sold anything. Yeah. And, and that really resonated to me thinking, okay, it was at the time, I didn't quite understand it. And after going through a number of cycles, asset cycles, um, and buying and selling, those words ring true. And the reason I say that is because 
when you when you're in the thick of it and you don't realize and you're frustrated and you're going through all these headaches and then wow you exit something let's say you made $100,000 it's never a bad time to take a profit right never a bad time what's really interesting is in 3 4 5 years you're going to look back and go crap i sold that thing the dude that bought it after me made a million <laughs> so, yeah. so it's just have perspective that you're in the long game and holding isn't necessarily a bad thing for for the long-term consequences. So as long as your basis is solid, you you it's very hard to get in trouble. And so I understand that now that here's a guy that was buying things in the 80s and 90s and, and in the 2000s and and he's looking back going, "Dang, like I could have really killed it." But he's had a great life and it was just very awe-inspiring to me to think that everybody's got their different, you know, different phases of how they operate. So yeah, I love I love that. And I appreciate you sharing that with like the 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 guy that's been in the game for that long, right? It's yeah. a great perspective to look back and say, one, like you to your point, you're gonna have times where you're stressed out. You're gonna have times where you're gonna be like, what in the heck am I doing? But try not to make those big decisions during those times of worry and panic and all that stuff, right? And then understand that you're in it for the long game. And and then to your point, you know, there's not, uh, you hate to tell somebody it's a bad time to take a profit if that's pro- part of the strategy. Never is. Yeah. No, I mean, if for the long term, be in it for the long term. Right. Yep. Absolutely. But never, never a bad time to take some money off the table. It's just don't regret it later. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, listen, man, I really, really appreciate your time. And uh, we're going to wrap it up today. And, and those of you, again, go get the tax here. Go get it on Amazon. Go get it in the link in our show notes. And thank you guys for listening. Only thing we always ask of you is to share the show, leave a review, spread it out there. That's how these shows grow. Those things make a difference. Um, And so if you got any value out of it, please do so. And then as always, I leave you with one piece of advice every time we end the show. And that is go pick one thing you can do today to start building that life you don't want to take a vacation from. Cheers, my friends. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. Share this with other people you think need to hear about it. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hey Grace, is there a website? Yes! For more amazing content and expert advice, visit bodicey.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.